Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal God, three in one, we come before you this day with grateful hearts, grateful uh, for the sending of Jesus Christ, um, who reveals to us the Father, and who ascends and facilitates the, the gift of the Spirit. We thank you that you have gathered us, O oh God, into your family, that we bear your name, the triune name. We pray that as we come before you this day to hear your word, um, having been purified um, through our confession of faith and the assurance of pardon, seeking now to be illumined by your word, that you would uh, open our eyes and ears and hearts to who you are and what you have to say, that we might know you and love you and also serve you uh, now and forevermore. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so it's, it's, it is Trinity Sunday, and we talked about Easter and then Pentecost, or then Ascension Sunday, um, and then Pentecost, and now we're at Trinity Sunday. And so you might say, well, why are we celebrating Trinity Sunday right after Pentecost? And maybe I hinted at it in the prayer just a little bit. Jesus is the one who reveals to us the Father. You remember there are a couple times when uh, the apostles were talking to Jesus, and, and then one of them said, um, well, if you just show us the Father, then we'll, you know, we'll be satisfied with that. We'll, we'll believe. And, um, and he sort of chastises them just a bit and reminds them that if you have seen me, you have, you have seen the Father. Jesus tells us that in his entire work of ministry, he doesn't do anything unless the Father instructs him. He doesn't say anything but what the Father gives him to say. He reveals to us um, that Father-Son relationship. But also, Christ, after his life and death, and his resurrection, and then his ascension, says it, it's good for you that I go to the right hand of the Father, because then I'll send the Spirit of truth to you. And so Jesus is also the one who enables us to receive the promised Holy Spirit. And so it, it is actually very right and fitting and makes all the sense in the world to celebrate uh, Trinity Sunday. We, we know God as, as one in three, three in one. Um, God, in fact, is a mystery because that is something that goes beyond what we can explain or work out in a formula. It is a confession that we make, and the truth of that confession is revealed to us in Jesus. And so um, as we come this day to Trinity Sunday and are trying to figure out, okay, why, how does this all fit together? One of the scriptures was that Isaiah 6 passage that I mentioned earlier, but the other scripture passage was from Psalm 29. 29th Psalm. And so as we turn to it now, I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. You will find there themes of God's glory. Uh, and what else can we do when we encounter the living God but to fall down uh, and worship? So Psalm 29. Hear now the word of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a young calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. 
The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry glory. Hear them? The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the theme here seems to be glory. A recognition of who God is and and how we begin to give glory to the Lord. And I want you to notice how it begins. The whole first uh, paragraph begins... In heaven. Did you catch that? That's where it starts. There's a, there's a movement in this psalm. And it begins in heaven. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It starts in heaven. That's where the psalm begins. With those heavenly beings who surround the throne in heaven, praising God, giving glory to God, lifting God's name on high, adoring the Lord. And so I wonder if you can remember maybe a a passage we've turned to before that gives us a little glimpse as to what that heavenly worship looks like. Certainly Isaiah maybe caught a glimpse of the living God in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6, and he speaks of that, but... Revelation, the beginning of the book of Revelation. Revelation reveals, it unveils the worship that goes on in heaven without ceasing. That's happening right now. And to which we have been joined as we gather this day. And so, I want to let your imagination run just a little bit. Because Revelation is a very visual book. And so as I, as I read this, I invite you to see if you can picture in your mind's eye some of what is spoken of. The kind of glory that is being given to God by those who surround His throne in heaven. By those heavenly beings of which our psalm speaks. John writes this. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit... So there's that theme of what begins to happen when God gives the Spirit to us. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Remember, we had baptism last week, and we talked about the changing of garments that takes place. We get rid of our old self, our old clothes, and are baptized. And then we wear white garments and are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. From there, from the throne, came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living 
creatures, each of them with six wings or full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There's a glimpse of what the psalmist is speaking of. The worship of God that takes place in the heavenly throne room. It's a beautiful scene, but it's not without order, is it? Did you notice that there's one seated on the throne at the center, at the highest point? And all of the focus is upon God. And then there are those who gather around the throne and speaks of the cherubim, which have you know, six wings and eyes all around and within, and uh, they're depicted um, in, in art and in iconography uh, as having the four faces, right? Um, one like a lion, like an ox, and then like the face of a man, like an eagle in flight. And these gather on the cl- uh, around the throne. They're close. The seraphim are called... Um, um, Sort of the servants of fire. They're so near, they are lit aflame. We prayed this morning earlier that our, our lives um, would be transformed. Our timid lives would be transformed by the power of the Spirit so that we would be filled with a flaming desire to be God's faithful people. So they're the cherubim. They are the, the servants of fire. The, the angels are described in different ways in the Scripture. Sometimes they're, they're called not simply angels, but they're, they're called angels, but sometimes as powers and thrones and dominions and principalities. They're different names to describe these heavenly beings, but here we see there's an order. And those who are closest to God fall down and worship God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then what happens when they fall down and worship? Then the 24 elders begin to worship. There's an order. And they begin to give glory and honor and power to the God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then here we are this morning. And here you are this morning. In a little church started about 100 years ago, which is like infancy in the big scheme of things, in the mountains of North Carolina, right? There's not, I mean, there's more than 24 of us here, but there's not a ton of people here. And yet, what you're doing right now is joining with the ongoing and eternal worship that is going on in heaven, even as we speak. There is literally, and I mean that, I guess I mean that literally, nothing more important or significant than you could be doing than what you are doing now. In your entire life, in your entire day, This is the most important thing that you could be doing. And you're doing it. To gather around God's throne as we have and to join our praise and our worship to those of the saints and the angels in the company of heaven and effectively to give glory to God. You know, to give glory to God means to lift... God's already the highest 
one, but, but in our own hearts, in our own lives, to say to God, you are the highest thing for me. You are the most important thing for me. You are the principal thing for me. To give gl- glory is to adore. Um, it is to, to lift up. It is to place in a position of primacy over all things. And that's why we cry glory. That's why we worship. That's what we're doing. We're taking all the various components of our lives and all the complexity of our lives, um, our past experience, our present moment, the relationships that have filled us and shaped us and formed us, our life's work. We're taking everything, our culture, our society, we're bringing it here and we're saying, out of all of that, God, you are the most important one, the most important thing. And we're directing ourselves, our hearts, our lives, everything to God and saying, you are the highest. And that's to glorify God. And so you're doing that right now. Maybe you showed up and thought you were just kind of showing up, right? But in fact, you've been drawn into the most dramatic and beautiful thing ever. The thing that will last forever and will not stop. The glorification of God and all of his goodness and beauty and love and truth. In the splendor of who he is. So, good job being here this morning. Or, or we can also say, being a part of this service online. Um, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a transformative thing. And, there, and therein lies just a little bit of the rub. Because, you know, there's, there's something of a problem already apparent in this first passage. There's an issue. Because we showed up. And we've called on the heavenly beings to worship God, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and so on. But did you catch the last line in that opening kind of paragraph, the one that's focused on worship in heaven? It says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now certainly that is something that the heavenly beings can do. That's something that the angels can do. They are holy in the sense of being completely set apart for God. But we had to have a prayer confession. I don't, I mean, I think everybody prayed it this morning. Did you pray it? Right? So, so worshiping the Lord in the splendor of holiness is something that, that in, in particular moments, yes, we can do. We can do that. You know, think of Paul's letter to the Romans. He says, Paul, to the saints who are in Rome is how he starts it out. And then he goes on after calling them saints or holy ones to list all their problems and the things they need to straighten out in their lives and the things they were getting wrong and the mess that they were making of everything. So there's this strange reality in which, yes, they are saints. They are set apart by God. They pass through the waters of baptism. They've been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are holy and set apart so they might worship and praise Him. But... They're not completely there yet. They haven't totally arrived. We cannot quite yet worship in the same way that the saints and angels do. And because of that, we need the word of the Lord. Who is that? Jesus, right. We need Jesus in order to worship in that way. So thank goodness the, psalm, the entire rest of the psalm is about the voice of the Lord. You remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. said, let there be. He speaks creation into being. We learn later in John that the Word, through whom God made all things, became flesh and dwelt among us, 
full of grace and truth, and we have seen His glory, the, only, the glory is of the only Son of the Father. Right? So the glory of God has been revealed, the voice of the Lord, the Word of God has taken on flesh and dwelt among us. So when you hear this, that opens every next line just about throughout the rest of the psalm. So when you hear that, I want you to be thinking, right, Christ. So, so listen, I'm just going to read a few of them to you. And at first I want to draw a couple connections to the heavenly throne room. So the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Um, just pause a second. So in the biblical imagination, the waters are the waters of chaos, which bring destruction, but also have the capacity to renew. If that seems complicated, think about baptism, right? Which you did last week. Jameson and Jonathan went under the water and died. There's a destructive element. Their old self was put to death, and then they were raised back up new. They were brought to life. But the Spirit of God is over the waters. Now, in our passage from Revelation, it said that the throne was there, and that around the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. A sea of glass like crystal. So the water is no longer chaotic in the heavenly throne room, in the kingdom of heaven. The, the waters of chaos are now still and, and peaceful and beautiful. Um, we had a little birthday party for Spencer yesterday, delayed birthday party with our family and so on. Uh, Spencer turned one in April. And so we were talking, and uh, one of my brother-in-laws has purchased a boat, and they've been on the boat you know, as much as possible. I think they're living on the water now. But they said they're probably going to stay away on the weekends because the water's so crazy. There's everybody out there and it's chaotic. But they said if you go during the week, oh, it's so peaceful and still. And, uh, and Lori, Leslie's mom, said, the water's almost like glass, isn't it? And it was just a picture of, of the beauty and the stillness. Um, it's not the water of chaos anymore. You remember Christ came out as the sea was rolling in the middle of the night and said, peace be still, and it was still. When Christ is above the water, as our pastor said, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. It's a place of stillness and peace and beauty. And yet, we're going to see these juxtapositions. The next line is, the God of glory thunders. Revelation said, from the throne came flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. When you remember uh, Moses going atop the mount and receiving the Ten Commandments, he goes up into the storm. It's a thunderstorm. There's thunder in a thunderstorm. And there's lightning. It's, it doesn't look like a place necessarily of peace. You've got that paradox happening at the same time. Uh, the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the cedars of Lebanon, but also makes Lebanon to skip like a young calf. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Remember the seven spirits of fire that were on torches in the presence of the throne room? The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, but also the voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth. And then that last line, in his temple, all cry glory. What to make of these juxtapositions? 
the stillness of the sea in front of the throne room, but also the, the God of thunder, the God of glory who thunders. What to make of the God who snaps the, the cedars of Lebanon, but also causes the young calf to skip through the field. You know, in, um, in Crossnor, there's a, a, a farm on the side of the hill on the left, pretty house up on top of the hill, very scenic, and they have, they have sheep. You know, you know this farm? Right. Yeah. And um, so in the spring, they also have lots of lambs out there. And so when I read this passage about causing the calf to skip, I, I, I pictured, because sometimes you'll see them, and these little lambs are just bouncing around. You know, I mean, is there anything cuter in the entire world than seeing a little lamb just bouncing through the field, skipping through the field? So you get a sense of just the, the beauty, the, the, in some way, that the innocence, um, the freedom, the joy that God brings in that sort of mental image. But then we also have the thunder. We also have the cedars that are snapping. I think one thing that you can make of this is that the God that we come to worship when we come and ascribe glory to the triune God is not the God that we can control. You actually haven't come today so that we can do what we're supposed to do so that God will do what He's supposed to do for us. It's not a deal where we fulfill some obligation and then God says, okay, now I'm going to do everything you want me to do as well. Uh, we don't come to worship the one who is tame. We come to worship the God of glory who is beyond us, the highest one, the one before whom we fall down and cry out sometimes, woe is me, like the prophet Isaiah, but also the one who in his mercy comes and brings purity and holiness to our lives. Um, been reading, mentioned Chronicles of Narnia to you before. Uh, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The girls are big into this right now. And there's this scene where Aslan, who's the lion, right? It represents Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, um, is on his way. And the two daughters of Eve, the two human girls in the story, are sort of on their way to meet him. And they're trying to figure out exactly who is this Aslan? Who is this lion who comes? And so they're asking he-beaver and she-beaver. You're, you're kind of getting the, the gist of this kind of story now, right? He-beaver and she-beaver. Ask the beavers, well, is he safe? He's a lion. Is this lion safe? And the beavers crack up and begin to laugh at how ridiculous this statement is. Safe. Who said anything about safe? He's not a, sa he's not a tame lion. But he is good, is what they say. I think as we think about this psalm here on Trinity Sunday, we can recognize the God who isn't necessarily safe, but who is good. And in whose temple all cry glory. I think that's such a beautiful line. You come to the end of these juxtapositions. We've seen the scene set in heaven. But now we think about the temple. Now we've moved from the heavenly worship to the temple, to the earthly worship that takes place. In God's temple, all cry glory. Now some of the invitation for us, here's some of the, okay, so we're getting the, the pieces in place, the, the mental pictures. But here's some of what I think this uh, psalm invites you to do and to recognize is happening 
so that you can enter into it more fully. You know, we might say that we're in the temple presently, right? And we're crying glory while we're here. But the whole point of Pentecost last week is that now you are the temple of God. And we can, we can say that collectively as Christ's body, but I can also say that to you personally. You are God's temple now. And what cries issue forth from your heart when you speak to God? The God who sits enthroned upon your heart. And here's where those juxtapositions come in in a helpful way. Theologians will say that when we meet Christ, in the moment of meeting Christ, it is a judgment. And when we meet, when we meet Christ, when Christ becomes incarnate, it is, it is a no to us. It's a, it's a word of no. It's a recognition of our sin, of our turning away of the evils that we do and in which we participate. It's a no. For Christ to come to us is a, is a no, but it is actually, that no is um, sort of absorbed into a much larger yes. And so when we see the voice of the Lord which snaps the cedars and shakes the wilderness, we can hear in that a no. And we might also ask as the temple of the living God, what in you needs to be broken into? What in you needs to be shaken up? What in you needs to be set aside? Just as you go down into the waters of baptism, you hear the no, it is a death. What in you continues to need, continues to need cleansing and removing? We who do not yet worship in the splendor of total holiness, what in you needs changing? The God we can't control wants to change those things in you. What are they? But, but even this no is gathered up in a much larger yes, isn't it? Because the Lord who, who breaks the cedars of Lebanon also causes Lebanon to skip like a little lamb in Crossnor. Um, like a member of Newland Presbyterian Church down the aisle. I'm going to be watching you on your exit today. See who's skipping. <clears throat> Usually you're running to get out of here, but... No. And maybe we'll skip a little this morning. Yeah, so, so the same God who does that also brings life to you, brings freedom to you, brings joy to you. Where is God saying yes to you in your life? Where is God developing a new relationship or a new opportunity or a new work? Um, where is God giving you space to enjoy and to give thanks and to grow? Where is God leading you to another person so that they might also be drawn in to this life? Um, so that they might also hear this call to ascribe glory to the God who sits enthroned in the heavens? Where is that yes happening in your life? Such that in the end, you too might, it might be said of you, in God's temple, all cry glory. All the, thing, all the aspects of who you are, all the voices that you speak, all the whispers that you hear... Cry glory to the Lord. Set God first in every aspect of your life. In your thinking. In your resting. In your working. In your relating. In your work. In your play. In everything that God might be first. That God might be glorified. Can you put God first? If you desire that, hear God's no so that you might also enter fully into God's yes. I know that's a tall task. It's basically what Jesus says when he says, be perfect 
as my Father is perfect. Be holy as I am holy. And that's too much on your own. That's why God gives us each other, but it's also where the word of blessing comes in at the end of Psalm 29. It says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Over the flood, there's the chaotic water again, right? God sits enthroned above it. You can look in your own life and find a bit of chaos somewhere, I'm sure of it. But God sits enthroned, and He sits enthroned forever. And then there's the call, may God give strength to His people. Whose strength? God's strength. And then, a blessing. May the Lord bless His people with peace. There's a heavenly scene. There's an earthly reality. There's a temple. And that temple is you. As you seek to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness in every aspect of your life, not just now, but even as you skip out from this sanctuary. It is God's strength who will enable your next step. And it is God's blessing who will bring you peace. And as you learn to worship, the world around you will begin to take shape in a different way, such that all will cry glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.